Leonard Cohen suggested, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. This viral crack gives us a chance to create something new and better. So let's talk about back to different and let the light in. Well, here I am again, uh, miles away, but actually only 18 inches away from uh, a new friend, Stephen Howard. Um, and we met through the virtual world, which is uh, such an important part of our lives right now. And we had a great conversation last time and I had to call the conversation because I was afraid we we're going to blow the podcast without recording it. So uh, Stephen is here with me today. And as I usually do, I wanted to ask you, Stephen, just to tell your story. How did you get here? Well, thanks, Mac. And it was a great conversation. I, I remember it wonderfully. Um, I, grew, I grew up in Las Vegas. Um, and after after college in Las Vegas, was hired by Texas Instruments and moved to Dallas and, you know, started my corporate career. And I was 20 years old. And, and uh, then they, in their wisdom, sent me to Singapore. And uh, I fell in love with Asia. So uh, I ended up living in Asia, Singapore for 21 years. I, ran Time Magazine's operations from Brunei to Pakistan. I spent a year with the uh, National Airline of Sri Lanka doing strategic marketing. And then one of our three planes blew up on the tarmac one night. And I was supposed to be on that plane the next evening flying to London. So I, uh, Citibank had been trying to hire me. And I decided banking might be a safer safer industry than, <laughs> than uh, travel and tourism, which I love thoroughly. And um, yeah, I five years of Citibank. And then I went off on my own, believe it or not, 1993, 28 years ago. So um, since then, I've been an independent first as a marketing consultant, because that was what I mostly did in my career was marketing. And then because at Citibank, I had a team of 23 people, I started learning leadership skills and learned how to teach leadership skills and kind of evolved into facilitating leadership development programs in Asia. And then I moved to Australia. I lived for 12 years in Australia outside Melbourne, which is absolutely wonderful. And um, I think about eight years ago, I came back to the United States. My dad had some health issues. I thought I was coming back for six weeks. It became six months. I ended up as primary caregiver for the last four years of his life. And, um, and um, yeah, I stayed in the United States. And then until about uh, two months ago, I moved to Mexico City. So here I am in Mexico talking to you. So uh, kind of an international person at heart. Um, love doing cross-cultural communications and until today i teach leadership and i write books about leadership i've uh let's see i've published 21 books out of my name i've co-authored a couple others and uh, now i help other people bring their books to market as well so it's a kind of a roundabout story actually <laughs> well you've 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 had as as i've had a a uh checkered career right <laughs> um and you have wandered around which is which i think uh for me has been very beneficial yes i never wanted to have a linear career much to the chagrin of my father who thought that's what career meant yes you know? yeah. <laughs> right you like just you got in this lane and you yeah. stayed in that lane damn it no matter what happened yeah. and you know, I got fired in 1994. So we started our whatever you want to call this morph that we're in at about the same time. And and clearly you love what you do. 
I do. I do. And, you know, we were we were millennials before millennials because people say millennials have no uh, job loyalty or employer loyalty. And I think we, we I never had employer loyalty. I could have had a great career every time every company offered me, but they wanted me to move someplace I didn't want to move to. And I took uh, lifestyle over career choice. Well, you have employer loyalty now. though. Yeah. Yeah. I have. I have the best. <laughs> Best job in the world, the best boss in the world. I work for myself. <laughs> yeah, you know, I love it. I am never late to a meeting. Yeah, yeah. You know? when, when I want to go on holiday, I ask myself, Stephen, you want to go to holiday next week? Sure, take a week off. <laughs> so it's approved. There it, <laughs> there it is. I've traveled a lot, but but not for work. I've, I've traveled in this country a lot, but most my my travel has been for um, recreation, I guess. But it's still been wonderful, and I. I feel, I feel a sense of loss for people who don't get to travel because there is so much, I think, that happens to us emotionally, spiritually, and cognitively when we get to be in other cultures. It's just, it's a wonderful thing. So when I was looking at your stuff online, one of the, um, one of the, differentiations, which I think we need to make right now, maybe more than we've needed before, because, you know, part of the focus of this podcast is on this shift in our culture, consciousness, way of business, et cetera, et cetera, is to, is, is, is to reevaluate the difference between management and leadership. Uh, most definitely. And, uh, and unfortunately, when people get promoted into their first managerial job, it, it sort of happens like this on, on a Wednesday or Thursday. Hey, Mac, congratulations. You're going to uh, be the new team leader starting Monday. We'll send the announcement out Friday afternoon. Uh, you'll do great. Uh, if you have any questions, give me a call, but don't worry, you'll do great. And <laughs> that's it. <laughs> And so uh, 63% of people who go from individual contributor jobs to managers or supervisors make an ineffective transition in their first year. Because of that, they're not trained, they're not prepped. And they go in and think, well, I'm now the boss. And leadership is not being the boss. Um, I always tell people you have three hats when you take on your first managerial job. You're still going to be an individual contributor. You're still going to have to do some work. Uh, Sometimes you're going to have to be the manager, which means giving directions and directives. But often you're going to have to be a leader. And that means being a coach, uh, reading body language, being more humane. In today's world, um, having more emotional intelligence. Uh, If you don't understand what people are going through, during lockdowns and working from home and the anxiety that they have about coming back to the workplace, then you can't be a leader. You're going to be a manager and, and, you know, people quit managers. They don't quit companies and you're going to have high staff turnover. Spot on in, in the, in the conversations I have with people in my work, at some point we say, all right, what gets you promoted here? And it doesn't take long to realize that usually people don't meet the height requirement for the job through, it isn't about capacity. They just haven't been in that sort of training mode, even thinking mode about what it is. I, um, I heard a guy speak a few years ago named Bill, Bill Taggart, a, 
very, 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 very cool guy. And he said this off the cuff and I wrote it down. And uh, afterwards I said, can I use this? And he said, did I say that? I said, yeah, you did, man. It's great. And he said, will you send me a copy? And he said, uh, two things you develop before you need them are capabilities and relationships. He said, you manage things and you lead people. Yes. Yeah. People are not things. If you treat people like things, you'll piss them off. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't know whether he, he came up that or he read it. I, that is actually a quote from Vice Admiral Grace Murray Hopper from the U.S. Navy. It's a oh, cool. well-known well known quote by her. Um, and I, I absolutely thoroughly agree that. You know, it's funny. When you become a parent for the first time, you're not very good at it. And usually when you have your second or third child, you get better at it. I, I've noticed those people. The same thing in management. You, you get thrown into it. And it's like, okay, what do I do? Well, this is what my boss did. You know, this is what my parents did. And sometimes yeah. you say, I don't want to do what my dad did, so I'll do the opposite. I don't want to do what my boss did. I do the opposite. But um, the, there's, we need leadership today. We don't need managers. And uh, you say, we, we can manage things. We can manage processes. We can yeah. manage procedures. We can manage policies. But you got to lead people. There, there, there seems to me to be sort of two... Um, two sides of this dialectic. One side is the data-driven side. And, you know, in, in back in school now, this is big about um, citing sources and tables and numbers. And that, I don't have anything against that, but people aren't numbers. Exactly. Right? And, and when the, the data overshadows, as you mentioned, um, emotional intelligence, People, we know from the data, back to data, is that people work better when they feel included, when they feel happy, when they feel a sense of purpose, when they feel listened to, yeah. all those things that we used to call soft skills, which I'm, I'm not a big fan of that frame. I just call them leadership skills. They, that's exactly what they are. Exactly what they are. You know, it's interesting, Mac, when I, uh, I guess I developed this philosophy because when I was head of marketing for Citibank in, in Singapore, and we, this back in the 80s and or early 90s, I guess, and people are always trying to sell us CRM systems. And, you know, CRM stood for um, customer relationship management. And I was a vocal not advocate, but opponent of that, because I said, no customer wants a relationship managed. And so I said, CRM should stand for customer retention marketing. And, and if you take that approach with people when you're leading them, nobody wants to be managed. I don't know anybody who comes in the office and says, God, I, don't, I want to be managed today. It may be a, a new hire. Somebody brand new out of college wants to be micromanaged because they learn, they soak it up like a dry sponge, but nobody else wants to be managed um, they want to be led. They want to be motivated. They want to be inspired. They want to be. They want to be appreciated. They want to be told their value that they're contributing to the organization or to the team, and that's how you lead people. Well, let's let's assume, and we have. I think this is pretty true. Is that the default setting for most people is to be dedicated and committed and work. Yes. Yeah. I mean, even even people who are slugs in the workplace, they go home and they go out in the garage to work on their 57 Chevy and they're they're like excited. And, they're, you know, yeah. it's like, honey, it's 3 a.m. I'm working on my car. <laughs> you know? 
so so there is this this drive to to commit to making doing believing in and so so what why are there these barriers in place that seem to actively stand in the way of that especially in the workplace it's it's a mindset, as you, as I said, you know, people take that job and they think they're now the boss, and they come and I'm going to change things. We're going to do it my way or the highway, uh, or they get so, so many. Particularly in the last 15 years of business, have been so numbers driven for shareholders, and you know, it, we, the, it's that's not a bad thing, but the pendulum, I think, swung too far in that direction, and you know, I can't remember the gentleman who. I uh, used to talk about uh, buying companies and stripping them apart, and and what they called them nuclear something because he got rid of the people and the building stood, and the and the, the so-called assets of the company were buildings and equipment and factories, and now the assets of your of your business walk out the door every day, and hopefully they walk back in the next day motivated, and if they walk back in the next day unmotivated, well your assets have depreciated. Um, not from a financial standpoint, but from a reality standpoint. I have a good friend who worked in the newspaper business for his whole life. He worked for the Chicago Tribune, the Miami Herald, the Los Angeles Times. Uh, you know, it's been mm. his passion, his life. And they got bought out yeah. by a company who was going to basically strip out the overhead, including him. Yeah. And it's, it's devastating for him because he's been committed, as I said, to this his whole life. And, and now that was taken away from him because of numbers on a piece of paper. Yeah. And it's, you know, you've, again, the last 10 years or 15 years, look at the number of small businesses that have entrepreneurs who, who have left organizations and said, look, this is BS. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to throw my life away working for this company. I'm going to go create something and, and I'm going to do it better. And, and, uh, you know, you think that the big organ of the you know, fortune 500 is what we always talk about is the economic engine of the country. Yes, but there is another economic engine in the country. And it's these, you know, companies that are under a hundred employees and, and, um, out there doing things and they have happier workers, most of them. And happier workers, are better workers yeah. in, in every sense. Um, if you've, you've read drive pinks, Diner pinks yeah. book. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, all these, he cites all these workplaces where people who work there have 25% or 30% or even 45% of their time to do whatever steams their rice, floats their boat, lights their fire, however you yeah. want. And th they're the ones who make these astonishing contributions. Do you think, and this is a closed question, but I know that uh, you're going to run with it. You're not going <laughs> to say yes or no. Um, do you think that it's, it's uh, plausible, even likely, that part of what the pandemic has opened up is possibilities for a more individualistic, entrepreneur-like, um, uh, self- powered way of thinking about work yes to an extent i but i also would uh, advocate mac that what is done is it's the first time where the leaders and the workers are all all had to face the same conundrum 
we're home. And I, I had a great conversation leader who, who he said his light, the light bulb went off because he, he uh, was in a conference one day. His, his, his wife was working. His two kids were doing schooling from home and he lost internet connection. <laughs> and he said, and he said, now I understand what my employers are going to, because, you know, obviously leader made more money, lived in a you know nicer neighborhood, had supposedly had better infrastructure, but, you know, and a lot of his employees, you know, would complain because they couldn't log on to Zoom or they, it was garbled or whatever. And he just thought that was an excuse until it happened to him. Um, I think what's going to come out of the pandemic real fast, and I think it's like immediately, is that not only thinking about workers as human beings, but I think great leaders are going to start thinking about the well-being of themselves and the well-being of their employees. And and they have to think about themselves first. It's kind of like, you know, the old airplane story, put your oxygen mask on first and help others. You, you As a leader today, you've got to be mentally fit, emotionally fit, psychologically fit, as well as physically fit. And you got to make sure you're, you're going to be aware of stress in the workplace and, and see the signs and, and understand that everyone's going through different stuff, particularly for the next probably a couple of years. Some people will still have children schooling at home. You know, some are still going to be worried about the, you know, social distancing at work, uh, the anxiety of what that is. And um, the other aspect, as you said, I'm going to run with this question. Uh, the other aspect is um, leaders now have to really be careful about walking the talk. I mean, if you're in an office building and you have a policy of, you know, no more than four people in the elevator at a time or something like that, and uh, you, you want to get on and you're the leader, and I mean, even a department leader, I'm not talking about C-level people, but right. even a department leader, there's four people in the elevator. You can't just say, oh, excuse me, I'm in a hurry. I got a meeting, go to and walk on. No, wait a second. If there's if your policy is four people in the elevator, then you have to wait for the next one or use the stairs. And people are really going to be observing more closely than ever what are their leaders and managers doing, not just what they're saying. Yeah, and and on this platform you and I are 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 using right now, it is it is viable and useful and powerful, but it also is different in a, a lot of subtle ways which we're just starting to realize. And overall, it's, it's much more democratic with a small D. Mm-hmm. I mean, all, I mean, from the, from the sort of obvious duh, all our rectangles are the same size. <laughs> right. Um, good phrase. Yeah, they are. And, um, you know, I have just as much power in a whole lot of ways as the senior executive does when it comes to, what I do with my computer at any given moment. Mm-hmm. So we also see everyone simultaneously, which is very different. We also see ourselves as other people see us, but unless we use the mirror function. And this is the first time in our lives that we haven't seen ourselves in a mirror. And there is a difference there. Yeah. We also, because I'm watching a movie of us, right now, um, b- body language is disconnected in a whole bunch of ways. So what I've noticed, and it, it kind of slapped me in the face, but it's part of what I teach anyhow, is that people, number one, talk more frequently, but less long. People tend to get to the point and stop much more, number one. Number two, in the absence of real body language, people are starting to really use their voices 
as instruments, not just as a drain for the brain. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that, the, the voice technology, the voice tonality. I, I agree. I think the one thing I would caution leaders, though, about um, of shorter um, conversations or whatever, getting the point quicker, is at the beginning of a conversation. I tell leaders today, I don't care when you talk to your employee last. As soon as you're on the phone or Zoom call with them, say, Mac, how's your family doing? Yeah. And let them talk and, and, you know, and, and tell me more about that. And then how are you doing? And don't let them get away. Oh, I'm fine. Or everything's okay. Or, but watch, watch their language, watch their body language, whatever you can see, listen to that voice and don't let them get away with just saying everything's fine. Because again, the emotional well-being, the stress that they're under is going to impact their productivity. It's going to impact their creativity, their innovation. Now the third question is let's talk about business. So the third point. So and that at the beginning of the conversation, don't just have a little, how you doing? I'm fine. You're not talking to the grocery clerk. You're not talking about the person that you, uh, when you, if you don't pay at the pump, if you have to pay your, your gasoline by going to the uh, window or whatever. No, these are, these are not transactional conversations. These are relationship conversations with people that work for you and work with you. And you've got to be sensitive to What's their emotional health? What's their, their uh, mental health? What's their stress health? Even their physical health. You know, hey, are you exercising? What are you doing? Are you getting out? What are you doing to take care of yourself? These are the questions leaders need to ask people. Uh, and it's not, it's not um, probing. It's not getting into their personal lives. It's, these are important questions to be asking. You just did my segue. <laughs> one of the things I've learned, I mean, I've been teaching since 1971 and it's, you know, there's, there's, there's some things about teaching and learning that I didn't learn until I'm a little ashamed that, you know, I was in my fifties before I went, duh. Yeah. And, and, and one of the things is that if I back off and don't try to manage the learning process, but try to lead it, other people will do my segues for me. Every time it's, it's, you know, it's like, how did you know what the next slide was? You haven't seen it yet. And um, what you said about it isn't transactional. It's about a, it's about relationships. And that is, you know, especially now, I mean, people say, oh, I'm doing fine, but fine doesn't mean what it meant um, a year and a half ago. Right. I mean, all of us are down. Exactly. All of us are, are a little bit corroded, a little bit tired, too much anxiety. Um, in, in what I'm studying now, we know that stress over time greases its own circuit so that stress becomes more, more frequent yeah. in our physiology because it's like, oh, more, you know, this is what I'm used to. It's like picking up things with your right hand. And mm -hmm. We're hungry for connection, I think, all of us. I mean, we human beings are in general. But I think now there's a particular void, which some of us may not acknowledge, but is so powerful and so real. And what you said about leadership and, and starting the Zoom conversation with what's happening? How are you doing? Did, did a Frank get off to college okay? You would say, right? Yep. Starting there creates that social and emotional and spiritual connection that is necessary. It, it isn't, that has never been an add-on. 
It's a necessary thing. And I think it has never been more necessary than it is now. And I would suggest that, you know, and you add that, add on to that, not only did did Frank get off to college, but how are you feeling about Frank being at college? How is it, what is the university doing about safety? How, how, what are your concerns about him being away right now? That that's the more depth kind of conversation that you want to have with your employees uh, with, without a doubt. Uh, and I think it's so important today and particularly when you're leading remotely and we're going to be leading remotely for, for the foreseeable future. Not everybody, but at least a lot more people are going to be leading remotely. And caring about your employees is not fake. No. It's phony. If it's genuine, which we're, I think both of us are sort of saying, yeah, that's the way it, it has goes. to be. Yeah, it has yeah. to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, because all of our bullshit alarms are turned up pretty high right now. Yeah. The other thing is that you talked about the brain or talk about stress and, and the impact. When I researched one of my recent books, one of the things I learned was that uh, scientists now know that prolonged stress, which we're all in, <laughs> 14 months is kind of prolonged. Yeah. Prolonged stress impacts a part of our brain that controls our reactions. And this is one of the reasons that you know, early in the pandemic, you know, four or five months in the pandemic, we started seeing many stories about alcohol abuse, increased uh, eating abuse or obesity, binge eating, and unfortunately, increased family abuse, whether yeah. it was spouse or children. And that's just basic. Our brain is melting. It is physically redu- reducing that part of our brain from prolonged stress. We're losing brain cells and we're unable to control some of our reactions. Um, and this is going to be a societal issue when we come out of this. I mean, all the things the governments are doing great around the world about trying to stimulate economies and, and everything like that and protect people who've lost jobs, all that's great. But somewhere we're going to have to start thinking five, six, seven years from now, what's going to be the mental health impact of all this? Um, even before the pandemic, um, in, in between 2020 and 2030, the prediction was that Alzheimer's, dementia, and stroke would increase by 67% in this country, and we'd have 10 million Americans impacted by Alzheimer's. Now, this is pre-pandemic data. I guarantee those numbers are going to go higher just as a result of the pandemic, the, the isolation, the, the being out of touch um, with people. It's, gonna, it's impacting our brains. I'm, well, sorry, I'm, I'm sorry to be a downer here. <laughs> yeah, no, but, no, no, no. I don't think it's being a downer at all. I mean, we, one of the things I think we need to start to do is be more realistic about what is rather than what would make us feel more at ease, you know, to pretend. Uh, I went, you know, that I'm back in school. I went back to school right before the pandemic began. And I don't think I'm prescient, but that's how it worked out um, to become certified as a counselor in alcohol and drugs. And that's what I'm doing right now. And I'm really glad that I'm doing it because that's what it came from anyhow, was this sort of sense of this is something I really need to do. And and it's going to be, I mean, it could be catastrophic, but it's going to be huge. Yes. And we need to prepare for it before it blindsides us. Like, well, what's your problem? I don't have a problem. I'm just freaked out <laughs> have been for the past four years. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you? <laughs> What's yeah. your problem if you're not freaked out? Excuse <laughs> me while I hit my computer. Oh man, Rhea, oh. it's 
Um, so let me ask you, because we've gone to a very good place where I'm coming from about about opening up some of these things. And I, oh, I also see you got a Kurt Vonnegut book and you got aliens. I'm, I'm just, I'm easily distracted. I have the, <laughs> I have the attention span of a uh, garbanzo. So, all right. I'm, I'm going to stop looking at your books. Um, okay. You have kids, I know, and they're adults, but <clears throat> down the line, 20 years or so, where for whatever reason, you're not allowed to, you're not around to bug, <laughs> to bug them anymore, but their kids are in school and they're taking a unit on 2020, the year 2020, mm. right? Like, like we had a unit on the Civil War and they come home to talk to their parents who are your kids and they say, that sounds like a pretty awful time. How did grandpa do? That's you. What would you like your kids to tell their kids about how you dealt with 2020? Well, and I hope they can say the same thing about themselves. That, that resiliency. Uh, I, I took advantage of it. Interestingly, I sat down with my girlfriend at the beginning of the pandemic and we, we put a list of projects we want to do. And in the last 12 months, uh, she's written and published three books. I wrote and published one book, uh, actually well, one of the books we co-wrote. So she, she did two books and we co-wrote a third. Uh, I wrote a book, I published a book of, actually two books of my own in the 12 month period as well. Uh, we started various projects together. Um, we made use of the time realizing, you know, I used to be in the classroom. I mean, I used to travel all the not used to, yeah, we used to before the pandemic. I'd be on the traveling all the time. I'd be in hotels, you know, 80, 90 nights a year. Um, I'm not doing that. So I took advantage of that time and, and I created a, I, I created an online uh, education course for leaders, for new leaders to cover some of the things we talked about earlier. It's a eight part online video series that's available for individuals to purchase as well as um, corporations. So I put the time to productive use and I, the people I coached, I did the same thing. I said, look, you've got a week to binge. You can watch binge TV, whatever you want to do. The coaches, the people I was coaching at the time, I said, but after that, you need to put a list. You need to, we're going to talk about what you're going to accomplish, what you're going to be doing that you can do. Forget about what you can't do. Let's focus on what you can do uh, during the pandemic. So hopefully uh, that's what they say about me. Um, well, maybe that's one of the, you know, the, there is a temptation to, to, to put, put people in two camps, right? And somebody once said, there are two kinds of people people who split people in two kinds of people and people who don't. So, so, so maybe one of the dividers is between those of us who have found a way to look at the, I can, and those who have not found a way and are still stuck in, I can't. I think Mac, most people came into the, I can eventually, I know the first couple months, there was a lot of people, I can't, Uh, one of the phrases I was using a lot about 12 months ago was saying, if you don't come out of the pandemic better in something, personal or professional, learn a language, read more, pick up a hobby. You know, if you don't put this time, if you don't come out with a, with a skill after the pandemic, then you've wasted time. And for the first couple of months, a lot of people say, yeah, yeah, well, we'll see how long this goes. And of course, there's a lot of mixed messages from governments and everything yeah. about how long it was going to last. And, but as it got longer and longer, 
I notice a trend. People say, I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to start reading about this. I'm going to, you know, do some online. I'm going to write. I'm going to, you know, teach my kids something, um, blah, blah, blah. People, people start doing more of the I can after maybe the first 90 days of, of being locked down and then realizing this is going to last longer than we were told up front. Maybe that's one of the blossoms growing it, from this. It is. And if, you, if people have the right mindset, again, what I've been trying to coach people and tell people is we don't want to go back to the old reality. We, we will never go back to the old reality. So forget about that. We don't want to accept the new reality. What we want to do is come out of this with a better reality. And by that, I mean, for instance, I, I, I think there's going to be a lot more work-life harmony. Forget work-life balance. That, that concept never worked. Work-life harmony. How do, you, how do you harmonize the time, even if you're working from home? How do you harmonize your work and your personal life and, and harmonize that? I think people are making decisions now that, you know what? I don't want to commute an hour and a half twice yeah. a day. Uh, so if I can't work from home, I'm going to change companies. Uh, I, you know, I kind of like this work from home or if I, you know, I'll go in the office twice a week, but I don't want to spend five time, five days a week commuting. Um, so I think people are going to make those kind of decisions. Um, now that's going to have some economic impact positively as well as negatively. Um, but I think a lot of people are realizing that, as you said, we're social creatures, we want to spend quality time with our family members. Uh, we want to be together. Uh, we don't want to work. You know, we heard earlier this year, people working 100 hours a, a week at one of the Wall Street firms. That's, that's nuts. Nobody, nobody should work 100 hours a week. Um, um, so, yeah, I think, I think we can come out of this with a better reality uh, if we want to. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your insight. Thank you for showing up. Um, I know that that you're not feeling well <laughs> in, every, in every way. Don't but, share all my secrets. <laughs> I, I only know a couple, so I, I mean, I'm on that route. But thank you very much. Um, I hope we will we will stay stay in touch because we, we need connections. At, and one of the things about the pandemic is I have never had so many friends all over the world whom I've never met face to face before yeah. in my life, and it ain't bad. Yeah. It ain't bad at all. Yeah. Well, that's great, Matt. Well, thank you for the conversation. It's been a joy and uh, we definitely stay in touch and uh, hopefully we, uh, we can talk again sometime. All right. Have as much fun tomorrow as you had today, at least. Okay. You do the same, my friend. Thank you very much. Adios. Adios. Thanks for giving us a listen. As we move forward, with this situation, with this thing that's us, let's never forget that we are all in this together. No matter what else happens, we're all in this together. Thank you.